Hi, everybody. This is Charlie Guarino. Welcome to another edition of Tech Talk SMB. As always, I'm always thrilled to have these great guests, and, and this month is no exception. I'm sitting here today with Mike Pavlak, who I've known for many, many years, a very good friend. Mike has been working with IBM Midrange Solutions since 1992, and even before that, working on mainframes. And for plenty of years, he's been doing RPG, CL, PHP, and was even a IT director for Triplight in Chicago. Today, Mike is, works for Perforce, and he is a solutions engineer, where he helps companies around the world approach the challenges of modernization and open source technologies. In addition to that, Mike is also a volunteer in several capacities with Common. And finally, he is also a teacher at Moraine Valley Community College in suburban Chicago, where he teaches classes on PHP and Python. So Mike, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, Charlie. I'm, I'm glad I was able to fit you into my very busy schedule. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I, I think I took a lot of time just on your bio. So that. <laughs> so thank you for coming. We're out of time. Thank you. I, good, yeah. <laughs> my <next> pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. Um, Mike, um, we, we were talking before this, before we actually hit the record button here. And um, one thing that you, of course, are famous in the community for is, is your PHP and Python and open source technology in general. And I, I, that's where I want to focus this conversation on because this is a topic and we've spoken about this before, not just you and I, but many experts. This is a one of the pet pet discussions because it's just so popular and um, so pervasive in, in our community. So, but, but there are some things I think you bring some unique ideas and thoughts to this discussion, which is why I invited you on today. So thank you again for coming. My pleasure. Sure. One of the things that you um, we discussed, and one thing you brought my attention to, Mike, which I wasn't even aware of, is the annual report. Apparently, uh, Red Hat does come out with an annual report entitled "The State of Enterprise Open Source," mm -hmm. and there's some interesting topics in there. So, I we're not going to focus necessarily on that report, but some interesting thoughts came out of it. But what what can you tell you about the report in general? Well, I, I've been I've been watching this report for for a couple of years. I think uh, you know I, I first came to my attention when um, uh, when I was kind of following when when Stephanie uh, forgive me her last name Chiris yeah Steph, yeah Stephanie Chiris yeah she 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 left IBM to go to, to work at, at Red Hat um, and that's when I kind of started you know kind of I, I noticed this report. And uh, and what's interesting is is that you know there's a lot of anecdotal stories about what's going on with open source, but you know Red Hat actually took the effort to 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 do some actual research and put some math and put, put some statistics behind it. So you know and 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 in, in a lot of the conversations I have with people, um, e even today with with regards to IBM and that kind of stuff, there's a lot of people out there who still don't trust open source. You know, it's like oh, it's is it a fad? Oh, is it, it's not safe. It's there's all the myths out there. Um, so when I can grab a hold of a report like this, you know, for example, and with with you know Red Hat's staunch credibility and 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 of course Red Hat being owned by IBM now, um, 
I can I can bring you know some of that stuff. I can say, well, you know what, you know, eighty percent of enterprises out there are using open source, and you know, so many, you know, you know, better than fifty percent are, are have stopped spending money on proprietary and and or proprietary software, and you know, software as a service is is growing, and you know, those companies behind the scenes are using open source, and they're they have to use open source because they couldn't afford to buy proprietary software for you know ten million users and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, open source is a, is a real player and, you know, reports like this Red Hat report become very, very credible resources that I can share with people. It's kind of a leave behind and they can kind of start to draw their own conclusions, you know, based on, you know, some of the research data. Do you think, do you think that um, you mentioned that, that this gives a lot of credibility in this report? I, I, does that suggest that in the open source community that there may, there may be less credibility perhaps in, in the industry using open source maybe because it's not necessarily owned by any one person uh, and and that i mean absolutely i think but i think if we've learned anything over the last several years or last four or five years is that credibility is way way come under question <laughs> so so i i think i think having a healthy skepticism about, about everything is a good thing um, there's a uh, there's a Nobel laureate by the name of Paul Romer who who is he he basically is a, a mathematics research statistician kind of guy, and he used to do a lot of his research with um, uh, with with commercial you know software, and the the problem he ran into was that you know as a researcher, um, obviously you spend a lot of time researching, but the only thing that matters is getting published. Well, you can't get published unless you're peer reviewed. And what Paul had discovered was, was that, you know, his expensive, you know, statistical software, the only people who could peer review him were other people who had the same expensive software. So what he did was, is he, he did a little research on this and, and as a researcher, and, uh, and he discovered that, you know, by switching over to Python and switching over to a Postgres database, um, he was able to get all of the things that he needed that he didn't, you know, they already had from the commercial software. And now the price of admission was zero. So, so now he could actually put his research out there. He could put his data sets out there in, in the world and researchers could, they had no excuse. I mean, if you don't have time, you don't have time, but the, certainly cost was no longer an issue. And, and Paul's, you know, observation was, was that, you know, he, he, he anticipates, I'm, I'm kind of abridging his statements here, but they're easy, easy to find on the, on the net. Um, you know, he basically is saying is that he has a lot more faith in open source than he has in proprietary software, because with open source software, you can see the code, you can look at the code and you can see what's going on with proprietary software. You have no idea what's going on inside of that code. And you know, obviously if it works, it works, but, uh, but you know, what is it doing? And, and do you care? And at the end of the day, that's, 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 you know, I, I think you should be, you should be skeptical about anything that you're using from a technical perspective and and it should be a healthy skepticism it shouldn't be prohibiting you from from embracing it but you should you should definitely do your do your homework you know mike uh, it's, it's funny you you say all that because there's a great corollary right in the first page of this report by the president and ceo of red hat paul comier and the the quote in here is quite fascinating to me i'll just read it out loud i'll try to read it out loud i'll I'll abridge it anyway. Yes. There's so much to digest in this report, but what I hope you take away is that while the open source development model may have started in the playground of developers, hackers, and visionaries decades ago, we've moved so far past that. It's now a mainstream part of commercial software development and the engine for consistent innovation. 
from the server room to public cloud to the edge and beyond. So I think that I think that only validates what you're saying. So, so I mean, I, I, you completely subscribe to that to that what, you know, what he's saying right there. Oh yeah, and, and and in fact, back in you know 2002 when I was first getting exposed to open source, um, I, I was I was that passionate about it. I had that much of a belief system about it. I I still remember the good old days when people couldn't trust Linux. Oh my gosh, how how could you run your your business on on an operating system that everybody could see the source code for? Um, you know, and we've, we've come a long way. And, uh, and if you look at, you know, arguably, depending on whose statistics you look at, if you look at the Z, System Z platform, um, the only, I shouldn't say the only, one of the main reasons why that platform is still relevant is because they embraced Linux at the right time. They, 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 they made that a real world-class player on the platform. And so, because they saw, they saw, you know, general attrition uh, away from the, the, the monolithic you know, uh, programming environment. Now, does that mean the mainframe is dead? Hardly. It's like, it's like saying the IBM I is dead. No, it's not. But the, but, but the reality is, is that people started moving away from the monoliths and moving more towards modular and, and interchangeable components and that sort of thing. And, and what IBM did with the, with the Z is they said, okay, um, you know, we, they put Linux up there. They, made, they gave it the credibility of a world-class player and now those components that may have come off the off the mainframe, the Z side, they, they just move them over to the, to the to the Linux side. But they kept them on the they kept them on the hardware. They kept them on the same environment. They kept them in the same infrastructure. Um, you know, but now when IBM I tried to do that, when the Power Systems brand tried to do that, I think they were a little late at the game. It wasn't resonating as, as much in, the, in that kind of a space. And there's a lot of other you know discussions about you know why or why not Linux is exciting and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm not I don't want to I don't want to bite on that right now. But uh, but uh, but but I think you know IBM embracing Linux and the mainframe brand gave open source a tremendous amount of credibility. Yep. You know what, Mike, you are well qualified to make that kind of statement because you're in the know. No, but I'm, I'm serious about this. You're in the know. But sadly, I think many people are just sticking to their old perceptions and that's where they are. And they hear and they hear mainframe or even IBM I or dare I say AS400. And, you know, where does their mind go immediately? They think about old legacy systems and you and I will speak until we're blue in the face, correctly so how open these systems are, but this is a, uh, is a perception issue here that, that still exists. And uh, I was just looking at the IBM uh, Z16 mainframe website actually, and that machine is amazing. First of all, mm -hmm. the mainframe, that whole platform is amazing, what, it, what, what it's capable of doing, where they're going into AI, and now probably even quantum is, is, is in the discussion there. But it, it's an interesting discussion. How do we break that perception of, you know, is open source, is that, is that what's going to bring us there to ultimately break that perception of, of these larger systems? You know, I will, I will share with you something that I was taught by a, 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 my CFO at Triplight, um, who I have a lot of respect for, God rest his soul. But uh, he, he, as I was being brought in as an IT director, and he, he, knew, he knew my personality. I'm kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say a wing nut, but energetic. You know, I want to explore new things. I want to, I want to you know, charge, charge ahead. And he basically, he put the reins on me. He basically said, here's, here's what I want you to do, Mike. He said, you're going to walk around here and you're going to see all kinds of opportunities, all the things you want to change. I said, he said, promise me you'll do this. He said, help the people who want help. And, 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 you know, so, you know, even, even though I might see something that just absolutely is, you know, needs to be a remedy or there's an issue here, there's an issue there. He said, 
help the people who want help build build your credibility with your community by by working with the people and delivering for the people who actually you know ask and or need the help um and so so you know you're right charlie you know you and i are going to run into people who are still coding in rpg3 uh, who are still using seu because they're faster in seu than they are in rdi and, and you and i both know the myths of that but 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 you can't convince them you're not gonna you know you know what but you, but there's someone standing right next to him who just who just installed RDI and they really want to get going with it. Who are you going to help? Who are you going to help, Charlie? And you, you're going to help the people who want help. And you know, I, I'm out there trying to do the sales pitch, trying to ease people down the road. You, you know, quoting the statistics like from from this report and from others and stuff like that. And and the people who come across who, who come across the field, I, I grab them by the arm and I drag them. I said, let's go. <laughs> Interesting. You know, one of the things that you um, we talked about prior to uh, this podcast, Mike, you, you made an interesting point in our pre-discussion, and it was about trends of open source, and more specifically about how there seems to be a melding of sorts of different languages and how they're being used. For example, one thing that you, and I'll just repeat, paraphrasing, because I don't remember, it was, it was said so eloquently, and I probably won't even do it justice here, but I'll, I'll uh, just repeat it as I remember it. The trend moving forward is not just one language, but a suite of them. And in your notes that, we, uh, that, we, that I copied here, we talked about how you identified three particular technologies, Python, Node, and PHP, and each of those, you had a different use case for them, for example. Sure. Uh, sure. And I'll just give you a quick, you know, just to refresh your memory, Python for DevOps, for example, systems, Node for standalone horizontal scaling, PHP for enterprise web. But so is that is that where we should strive to go? Should we strive to really be using a suite of them? Or I know uh, a topic that you'd love, you'd love to bring up all the time, or at least a, a theme you bring up is, well, it's religion. You know, I, I'm, I'm, on one, I'm on one language and I can make this thing do anything. Right. So how can you, isn't there a, isn't there a, uh, an issue with those two? Aren't, aren't they counted to each other with religion <laughs> in, in that context or using a suite of languages? I, yes. And, 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 you know, and, and, and this is a, this is a topic we can certainly spend the next two hours talking about. Um, the, the, the answer is it depends. Now, you know, if, if you look at a, at a general trend, when you're looking across many organizations, many businesses, many industries, um, you start to see a smoothing factor. And, and, and the smoothing factor is, is that um, no one is hanging their hat on one language anymore. I mean, and even if you think way, way back to the 80s, the early 80s, right? COBOL was the language of business. End of discussion. No, no, nobody argued that point in the 70s and the 80s. Um, RPG, right? What does the R stand for? Report. Yeah. RPG was brought in as a utility language, or as, as Dr. Frank Soltis likes to say, that's a macro language. Like we're talking about RPG one and RPG two, right? The, the, right? This language was brought in because writing reports in COBOL, you know, building those picture clauses was time consuming. I could do in 20 lines of RPG code what might take me 200 lines of COBOL. And it was about productivity. It, and, and really, what was it on? It's about using the right hammer on the right nail, okay? I could write reports in COBOL. I'm good at writing reports in COBOL. I, I'm faster at writing reports in COBOL. And it's like, but if I but if but if I got someone who's comfortable with RPG and then back in the day was RPG2, they're gonna be a lot faster than you are. 
even if you're cloning that COBOL report, this RPG uh, is going to be a heck of a lot faster. So, you know, I, I, you know that's where it began. And, and way back in the 70s and the 80s, I, the stuff I'm talking about is, is, is not new, but but we're starting to see it. It's it's encroaching upon the environments in which we in which we operate. So you know, IBM I customers, RPG developers. I've run into a lot of them out there who you know, and I'll say the gray beards, right? Um, the, the the folks who have been doing this stuff for a long time, you know, they remember the old IBM SEs and how the SE would come into the shop, or they'd come visit, visit, physically walk into your shop and talk to you and walk around, you know, shake hands with people, meet with your VPs and your, your owners and that kind of stuff. And, and the SE would tell you what to do. I mean, that was the SE's job. They, they would guide you down the path. It's like, hey, you know, they would, they would sell you a system three and they would sell you COBOL. And then they would sell you RPG. It's like, hey, well, RPG is here too. And, you, and, and look what it's going to do for you. And then, you know, down the road, they sold them, you know, system 38s and down the road, they sold them AS 400 and then the SEs went away, right? But there's still people out there who have that mentality of that IBM is going to tell them what to do and you can lead them by the hand. And that changed, I would say, probably late 90s, early 2000s, where, you know, a funny story is I had a customer I worked with in New Jersey. And, you know, they, they were an RPG shop doing amazing things with RPG. Um, and we're talking to the customer about going to PHP, saying this is the next logical step for you, because they were very into RPG CGI. And, and the guy's like, you know, uh, he's hemming and hawing, hemming and hawing. And he says, I'm going to IBM Rochester in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to meet with Steve Will. And Steve Will's going to tell me what to do next. And I laughed. <laughs> and he's like, why are you laughing? I said, Steve Will won't tell you what to do next. He will tell you about all the things you can do next. And that's because IBM's not in that business anymore. They're not telling you to use this or use that. They're, they're creating that palette with so many more colors now and, and so many more opportunities. And, and now when you get into you know, modern application development, and especially in a DevOps infrastructure and around open source, it's no longer about how fast I can write a piece of code, how fast I could do this. It's about where is the code in the open source space that I can bring into my shop and implement quickly and support. So, you know, the idea of saying, oh, we're an RPG shop, or we're a Java shop, or we're a PHP shop, well, that might be the principal language you're using for maybe 60, 80% of your bread and butter. But the reality is, you're probably using other languages too. Like, for example, IBM iShops take it for granted. Anybody out there using CL? You know, it, it, of course you are. But, but you just assume that, you know, you're, that that's there because that's part of the infrastructure of the machine. Um, you know, but, but RPG has been our flagship for so long and primarily because IBM for so many years, there weren't really many options. It was RPG, it was CL and it was COBOL. Now open source comes along and now we're getting parity with some of the more pure open source shops out there. Like, you know, if it, I, I like to pick on Netflix as a good example of a, of a pure open source shop. They're one of the few companies out there that actually puts their code out on the net for people to see. It's, it's a, their, their actual applications, the, the thing that you use in your Netflix application is in the open source space. But they'll tell you about how they're using Node.js for this, and they're using Python for that, and they're using Ruby for, the, I don't think they're using Ruby, but you know, but you understand what I'm saying. They're using a variety of technologies because they're using the right hammer and the right nail. Well, that's all true, but I mean, it's, it's still a generational thing. There's still this, I, I still think this dichotomy exists where we have the, gosh, I hate to say it, but you you, you said it first, I'll just, I'll just repeat your words, the gray beards, which is, sure. Uh, which is obviously some a bit condescending, perhaps, but <laughs> but it's it I've, I've got a gray beard, Roy. <laughs> Let me okay. tell you, I've got a gray beard now. So I... 
All right, but in any event, um, there's this, there's this. Uh, sometimes this mentality exists where we have proprietary systems versus open. So it's almost an us against them mentality, right? Right. But I think anybody who is a little more progressive understands that you need, to, and, and you've said it already, we need to really adopt both. But there are some shops even today that um, will dig in, and they simply will, re, you know, will refuse to accept open source line, and there, and then they'll give you a whole. A, a whole score of reasons why they shouldn't do it. For example, well, security, that's a, that's a favorite punching bag, right? Security. Sure. And that's a big one. So how do you address objections like that when you hear, especially in security? Cause I mean, that, that's another two hour discussion, if not longer. I, I would agree, but let me, let me throw something else at you. I'm going to go down a curveball really, really quick and I'll come right back to security. Um, I, I think there is a valid point to be made. There's a valid concern to be made for companies who are understaffed. Right. Um, that's a that's a big issue. Um, and, I, I, and I see this a lot in the IBM I space. It happens in, in every industry. It doesn't just happen in IBM I, but you know, I, I certainly see it a lot in the IBM I space. We don't have time to learn this. We don't have time to adopt that. We don't have time to learn RDI, let alone, you know, learn about open source and that kind of stuff. And, and when you peel the onion back a little bit, in some cases, that's that's myth because they, they probably have the time if the if management team can can make it. But I was sitting next to a guy yesterday at, a, at our Omni dinner meeting, um, and he's he remembers back in the day, which was like 10 years ago, they had 15 people in IT. Now there's two. And, and, he's, and he's sitting there in a presentation about PHP stuff, right? Because he's, he's going to get in that hour, he knows he's going he's to get a lot of good material and he's going to take that back to his shop because they're using a little PHP. What's the chances of him adopting Python? He probably doesn't have the cycles in the day to do that kind of stuff. So I, I think staffing is one of those things. It's management priorities and that kind of stuff as well. Now, I promised I'd come back to security. <laughs> oh, but, I, but now, but but now, I want to just interrupt you for a second. Please. Sure, I please. But um, is that is that issue singular to IBM I shops? I don't no. think so. I mean, there's no. always there's always pressure on, on on you know on IT directors or companies in general to. Um, to not have to hire additional resources, things like that. So, right. so I mean, this is our world. Our world is IBM I. So maybe we, you know, we can best speak to this. Exactly, exactly. But it's not. And also another another place where that's feeling this pain is Microsoft shops, um, the C sharp shops, the VB shops, and that kind of stuff. Um, because what's happened is is that people who hung their head on a single technology, they only have a hammer, right? People in the open source space, people who've grown up with open source, like there's a, a fellow that I work with over here at uh, at, at Perforce. Uh, uh, he, he's very flexible about the technology because he's grown up with that world. He's grown up with the the, the assumption that you're not going to hang your hat on one technology. Um, so so he's more comfortable getting it. So so you're talking about a couple of things here. One is you know culture shock for the shop, and then there's also culture shock for the employees. Right. And, and how do you diversify? How do you get people you know, comfortable with, with using more than one technology, more than one language? And I'll tell you, management will respond very, very quickly when they discover that, um, well, if, if we just use RPG to get that done, it's going to take us six months. But, but the open source guy over here, he can get that done in three weeks. And, and management is like, and why are we looking at RPG? Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to disparage RPG. I'm just I'm using that as the you know you know pick your technology, and it could, it could be PHP versus Ruby or something like that. You know these these kind of conversations going out there. But the reality is, is in the world of open source, there's a mentality that we're not going to reinvent the world. We're going to grab code from other places. We're going to assemble code, and and we'll tweak 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 tweak. 
And, uh, and, and that's okay to do that kind of stuff. You know, the right hammer, again, the right hammer on the right nail sort of thing. But let's go back to security. That, that's, that's, and that's like the, the, pet, <laughs> pet, uh, the pet excuse, I suppose, is, sure. is security. So, I mean, I mean, I've done enough research on my own to recognize that security is probably not an issue, but there, you know, as people hold on to their old, their old biases, that is still a concern. So, yeah. So talk about security in the world of open source. So, I mean, yeah, where, where do you start? Um, let, let me start by saying, uh, I'll parrot things that Steve Fitcher says. Um, your IBMI and your RPG is not, is not secure. Why are you whining about open source be, not being secure, right? Um, because he's, he's, he walks into shops all the time. That they, they think, oh, my IBMI is, is, is safe. It's, it's, it's impregnable. It's not gonna, it's not gonna you know, fall victim to this. And Steve finds a dozen vector points without even breaking a sweat you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So, so what we need to do is we need to remove the myth that anything, anything is more or less secure than anything else. And we have to understand that security is, uh, it's cliche, but I'll say it. Security is a journey. It is not a destination. RPG is not any more or less inherently secure than Python. End of discussion. That's a pretty bold statement to make, by the way. Well, I'm happy to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, you know, now if if you're running an IBM I, or, or better, better yet, you're, you're, you're running an AS400 with nothing but dumb terminals and no network interfaces to it, that's a darn secure machine. You're, you're not gonna be able to like, yeah, that thing won't get hacked. You're not, you're not doing that though, <laughs> but it, it won't get hacked. Well, but you know what? But many people have the perception that they still are. That's the problem. It's perception versus reality. So, so now we need to level set the perception. We need, so I, I need people like Steve Pitcher out there and, and other folks out there like him, uh, you know, talking about this stuff and, and making sure that, that, that the people who have all this hubris about their IBMI being, you know, the, the most secure platform in the, on, the plat, in, on the planet are brought down to earth. Now, now we can have a level of conversation about technology in general and, and, and open source, that kind of stuff. Now, is the security model of open source different than it is for my for, for let's say RPG? Absolutely, I, I, there's there, there are going to be differences. There's a learning curve involved, and and that's one of the challenges that we run into with, with this kind of stuff. But here's the cool thing: the kids coming out of college, the kids coming out of school, they are all being trained on using open source tools. They're they're going to walk into your shop and and you're going to say, hey, I need you to work on the network and and you know work with this manage manage switch over here. Guess what? They're, they're going to they're gonna pull out an open source tool and they're going to hit that switch with an open source tool because they, they, why? Well, there's commercial tools they can buy, but an open source tool, they don't have to go to management and get a PO signed off. on. I can start using it today. And I, and I know this tool, I, I, I learned it in school and I, I trust it and it's going to give me the information I need. And okay, you know, it, 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 there's a huge barrier to entry that gets lowered when you start looking at, at open source solutions. Um, and, and like anything else, you know, you have to maintain your open source. You have to you have to keep current with certain security features and security patches. Um, that Apache server on IBM I is an open source project under under the covers, and IBM is constantly updating it. Uh, and and how do you update it? Well, IBM makes it easy because they just make it part of the PTF package. You 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 do the you do the group for HTTP, and now you've got all your updates for Apache. You don't think about it. But that's how it works, and and for that customer out there who's running V7R3 and hasn't loaded PTFs in seven years, um, they don't have the updates, so they're just as insecure as somebody else out there who's not updating their open source code. But Mike, so you've 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 uh, talked mostly, I think, primarily about infrastructure. 
but mm. I, I didn't, I, ha I haven't heard a lot of discussion about business apps. You know, what, 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 what some people have, some people call it meat and potatoes, you know, the real hardcore, yep. you know, you know, back end processes. So is, is that arena still reserved for, I even hate the, I, I hate the word proprietary, but is that, is that, is that the space for that? Is that the ultimate landing space for, for that? In for, for those languages, I mean, I, again, I hate to even use the word, but but is that the is that in a, in a perfect world? If you if you could redesign the world tomorrow, would that be your your uh, design where open source maybe is doing infrastructure and maybe some of the periphery fr uh, front customer facing stuff and the back end hardcore mathematical processes is COBOL RPG etc. Or or can you can you do it all and in, in, in any of them? Um, and the answer to that is there, there, there. It's a ladder. It's yes, you know. So the the reality is is that um, people are going to use what they're comfortable using. Um, people are going to people and people want to leverage their investments. So I mean, we we hear Steve will talk about this all the time, um, and maybe to a fault with the IBMI platform. Um, you know, companies have made investments in the systems that they're running, right? And and that that could be. That could be RPG that's 40 years old. It could be PHP that's 15 years old, right? And you know, to, to walk away from that investment is expensive, risky, time-consuming. Foolhardy? Uh, you know, foolhardy, it depends. I mean, and you and I could have a we could we could debate that subject because if if the system that you're you have is is harming your business, then you have to get away from it, right? So oh. so so you know, we, we need to talk, you know, if if your industry changed so much, and, and think about some of the industries out there that have changed so much. Um, you know, we were we were talking at a conference last week about uh, the you know the tax uh, situation with the with the, the municipalities in, in New Jersey when when they got overwhelmed, uh, you know their systems got overwhelmed. Um, and, and now their systems become a liability. You know, the, their greatest asset, all that investment for the last 60 years now becomes a liability. Um, you know, the, the IRS system, you know, which was a monolithic system. And, and I think 10 years ago, they started breaking it apart. Now it's 140 monolithic systems. <laughs> so, you know, it, you, you know, systems can become a liability. But, but you know, again, if, if it's still an asset, if, you're, if your business logic is an asset and it's an RPG, I'm a big fan of leverage that moving forward, you know, and, and we, were, we were chatting earlier about the whole hybrid cloud concept. And, and I think, you know, IBM a couple of years ago, finally got that, they, they, the light bulb went off and it's like, you know, leverage your assets wherever they are. And, and if that asset becomes a liability, then you have to replace it. You have to change it out. You have to, you have to, you know, replace that to become a, a, a an asset again. So I would say, and what we're seeing in the general open source trending, trending out there right now, Companies, startup companies, are are doing everything online. They're doing everything virtually. Everything software as a service. They don't even have a database on on premise anymore. So so you know, first of all, they're not the thought of buying software is completely ludicrous. Um, nobody's buying anything anymore. Um, we're, we're using Office three sixty five in the cloud. We're using uh, Google Docs. We're using you know all this other stuff. They're they're not. No one's paying for software anymore. Um, so so well, that's a, is that true? I mean, you're paying sure. subscription. It, and again, it depends. Uh, you could, you could, you could literally be running an entire business on Google for free. You don't have to pay one thin dime. Now, I'm not saying it's a smart investment or it's the best way to go. But if you're a startup with three people, with three employees, you everything you need is in the free versions of of the Google Documents strain. If you needed a, if you needed a, a desktop, you know, there's LibreOffice. 
right? For the people who are adventurous and it's not hard. It's not hard. Uh, I had a conversation. Uh, I was, I was on an advisory call with a local community college and, and we were, we were talking about, you know, you know, the new version of Microsoft office 365 is going to have all these new features. When should we roll that out to the students? When we should, when, when should we push that out and then make, and make the students start using it? And, and I, and I jumped in and I said, Hey, hold on. My niece is about to go to this school next, next fall. And she is apprehensive because you're telling her she has to use office 365, but her entire K through 12 experience was on Google docs. Now she had to learn a whole new technology just because you are forcing her to. I said, why don't you guys embrace Google Docs as well as Office 365? And, and, and then of course the, the, the group think in the room, well, everybody's using Office 365. And then a, a lawyer, a paralegal raises her hands. Uh, no, no, no. We're using Google Docs for everything. And we're a law firm. Because someone had said something that Google Docs was insecure. And she says, no, Google Docs is very secure. You can, you can secure everything that way. So, I mean, so, so, so again, you know, I, whether you can or whether you should is a different story. Obviously, the three people in that in that in that fictitious you know startup company, if all of their background was in Microsoft Office, they're probably going to buy an Office 365 subscription because that's their comfort zone. That's where they have their experience. That's where they have their investment, right? Investment and experience, right? Um, but I think what you're going to find with with the younger crowd out there, they're they're very very willing to embrace new technologies. Though so they'll look at a Google Docs, especially if they can save you know 40, 50, 60, 80 bucks a month. You know, we, we, we've talked about so much, Mike, and yet I'm not quite sure where we, <laughs> where we, but it's so, it's so anytime I, I speak with you, I, I think it's, it's so fascinating, but you, you, you said two points that I wrote down while you were speaking that I want to just uh, expand on briefly. And the first one is about your niece or the law firm, rather, excuse me, the law firm, how Google Docs is not secure. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's a, that's a, I'm sure that's a very closely held bias that they have, but doesn't this go right back to the mainframe again, how we started the conversation about the Z system, that it's, that's an old ancient system running these legacy applications. Meanwhile, it's one of the most advanced systems on the planet. Yep. Thinking, right. But, but the, the larger question here is think about, are, are we all guilty on some level of how our biases are really affecting our decisions, whether to use open source or proprietary or anything like that, and maybe to a fault to our companies that we're doing work for? Absolutely. Because you know, we're imposing our biases on them and, and maybe not doing what's best for them. And, and so what you have to do is you have to give yourself a little bit of slack. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, so a couple of things I'll point out there. I'm, I'm a big fan of, the, of a line that says, I, I think religion is okay as long as you're honest about it, right? People come to, people invite me to a conversation. They know what they're getting. They know they're going to get a healthy conversation that's going to be, you know, pro open source. It's going to be pro IBMI. It's going to be, but I'm, but I'm not a zealot. I'm not going to sit here and say that IBMI is the only solution for everything out there, right? Because I think that's myopic, especially in today's day and age. There are so many other things out there that can add to the equation. Um, so, you know, you, you want to have an open mind in that, that sort of thing. So, so, uh, so I think religion is a reasonable thing to have as long as you're honest about it, as long as you, as long as you recognize it, you have a conversation with someone who is a, a RPG three developer and they say, RPG three is the best. And that's my religion. At least if they're honest about it, I can respect them. I, I may not agree with them. I don't have, I don't have to sanction the, their, their, their position, but at least they're being honest about it, right? That, that they say that this is what I like. This is what I do. And I'm like, okay, great. That's, that's your, that's your belief. The thing that you have to do, you know, from an open perspective is you have to look at things from a, from a, a, a higher level in, in a lot of cases. And, th- and that's where we kind of get into like corporate strategy and that sort of thing. 
Um, you know, and, and this is where businesses, you know, if you as the as the staff, if you don't push your ideas up forward, if you don't push your agenda forward, your CIO is going to push it down, right? And we've, we've all heard the stories, you know, this company got a new CIO and now they're moving everything off the IBM I to Microsoft. You know, and, and was that, is that a right decision? Is that a smart decision? I don't know. We'd have to, we'd have to analyze that and really tear it apart and, you know, find out why that, why he's doing the way he's, what he's doing. No, it's probably based on the fact that he's, you know, this new CIO is 40 years old, but he spent the last 20 years working with Microsoft technologies. And he's, he, he knows they work. He knows they can work. So we're going to, we're going to move everything to Microsoft because that's his religion. Um, and, you know, the, and, I, biases. And, and bias and, you know, and, and, and can you make it work? Yeah, you can make it work. Is it going to be a smart investment? We don't know until after we watch them for 10 years, try to struggle and, and move over. <laughs> the other point I wanted just to bring up before we kind of wrapping this up was the two key words I, I clinged on to here is, is liability and asset, because that, that is one of the metrics of deciding when to when to switch over from one system to another. And, and that can go either direction, of course. But we talked about liability and you said, you mentioned like the tax, the, the New Jersey tax um, in the IRS, how their monoliths became, you know, a whole plethora of monoliths, which is a problem obviously, but it's not easy to walk away from an enterprise solution that's so in deeply embedded, not only into the, the enterprise, but into the, into the people itself. Correct. It's so hard to to walk away, and and it's understandable, I guess, why these liabilities continue to linger on because people don't want to switch that quickly. And the same thing with the assets. So so besides you know besides just familiarity being why you don't want to switch, what are what are the, some other liabilities? Tell me, is there a black and white definition of? Oh my gosh, that is such a liability because, and this is why we have to make it, and why you, you make a case for switching, for example. Uh, I, 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 and, and I'll throw one on the table that I think we've all lived through, but, uh, but and Charlie, I want you to push back on it because I know you will, or you, 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 I know you can, I should say, I know you will. Um, I would say that the green screen is a liability, right? Um, and that's and, a blank, that's a blanket statement you're saying that? Yeah, yeah, the green screen is a liability. Um, okay. and, and here's why, um, anybody who's coming out of high school today has never seen a text interface. They've, they've, you know, unless they've been in a programming class, they don't even know what a command line is. Right. You know, so, so, so there's, you know, that, that perception right there, you, you immediately as an organization, if you're going to hang on to the green screen. And again, I, I love the green screen. I've had my family for 20 years on the green screen de development. I love, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but the, but the world has evolved. The world has gone past that to, to not only GUI, but touch, right? It's all about the touch interfaces now. So if you're not developing UIs that are graphical touch oriented, um, you now have to own a learning curve. Now, if that learning curve is worth it to you, then do it. I, you know, if, if the green screen learning curve is, is, is still an asset to your organization, that's fantastic. I've got four employees. I need to hire a new employee. It takes me maybe six weeks to get them comfortable with the text interface. If that's an asset, then leverage that asset. But then the boss comes in and says, yeah, but you know that order entry program? We need it on the web. Can you put that green screen on the web? And, and you and I will, will be just kind of laughing at that kind of a suggestion. And, and it's, no, no, we're not going to put the green screen on the web. You're crazy. You know? But he says, I know, but I need, I need my customers to order their own stuff. Can, can you do that with the RPG and the IBMI? 
And, and the answer is, I can, but maybe we should be using the IVMI and some PHP for that. Or, or maybe we should be using DB2 and uh, Node.js. Uh, you know, there, there's other technologies that are maybe more appropriate for web development. I could do RPG CGI, and and we were talking about this uh, last week. I said, yeah, but think about that. All right, we we already hear a lot of people complaining. Oh, I can't find RPG developers. Well, okay, RPG CGI is a great technology. Fast. You're not going to find any faster way to run web work on the IBMI, hands down. But what about the human resource aspect of that? You need to have someone who knows RPG, knows your existing business logic knows HTML, knows JavaScript, knows web technologies, knows stateless versus stateful processing. All in one body, that's gotta be one body. Oh, and by the way, if, if this is an important system, you need two of those bodies, right? Because one of them wants to go on vacation and, and that kind of stuff, right? So, so go find that unicorn somewhere. There, there's okay, a couple out there. This is, a, this is the unicorn you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> they exist, I suppose. I suppose they, I mean, I guess I've seen a couple in my life perhaps. <laughs> Or my perception of somebody who was, might have been a unicorn, but right. So, all right. So, what you what you've described right there is a is a liability, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And and one thing that comes to my mind, just just you know, another liability, of course, is we need to roll this out by next Friday. Yeah. Yeah. That you know that's a that's a big that's a big deal. And you know the you know one of the other topics that you and I were kicking around you know was was the you know the ideas of, of DevOps and that kind of stuff. And, and getting companies to the point where they can realize that they, they can't be doing waterfall development anymore, right? That's, it's, that's, a, that's a huge liability because what's happening is your competition's eating your lunch. Um, if your competition is doing agile, they're, they're rolling out new features and functionalities, their application sets weekly, daily, right? A, you know, Amazon being the, the overwhelming, you know, exagger the, the exaggeration, they're rolling out new features 3,500 times a day. Right, they're they're constantly rolling. You know, you know, their infrastructure is that is that nimble. You, you don't need to be that nimble. In fact, if if I if I'm working with an IBMI shop and they're and they're rolling out new features weekly, I'm thrilled. That's great. That's great. That, you know, at least you're, you're moving down the road towards that whole agile kind of mentality. Nice um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and 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 so that's you know now you're turning your application development into and again you're turning it into an asset as opposed to a liability in that, in that scenario because. Mm -hmm. You can you can be, you could be more responsive to your customers because the ones who's going to be more responsive to their customers they're the ones who are going to get the business. Wow, Mike, we've uh, we've talked about it all, and yeah, <laughs> as is often the case, once once we get going, we tend to get on a roll, right? Which which I definitely love, but uh, we have to kind of leave it there. We've been going for quite some time, and I really just wanted to thank you as always for. Uh, such an engaging discussion as it as uh, it's just it's always amazing uh, when we get into these conversations where, where they where they uh, where they wind up from the start line so thank you very much for your what you bring to the table and your wealth of knowledge in this in this in this space and obviously once again for all you do for the community it's, it's really it's really wonderful so I, I want to thank you very much. And it's, it's very apparent to me why you're such an IBM, a great IBM champion. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Charlie. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of throw this right back in, in your face as well. I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons I think that you and I get along so well is that, you know, we, we have a certain amount of confidence and trust in each other for, from a communication perspective. And we can, we can push each other around a little bit, you know, and, and explore some new ideas. 
but I've, I've, I've tried and I, I can't seem to offend you. So that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to see more of that in our society, of course. Um, but I think that's one of the keys to, to, to freedom of communication is, you know, trust in the ability to explore other ideas, whether you agree with them or not. Right. And you might think I'm totally half baked on some of the ideas I have out there and, and vice versa, but you know what, we respect each other enough. And I think that's what we need more of in, in, in today's day and age. And thank you, Charlie, for creating that environment for me. Well, you're very welcome. As a safeguard, we're going to turn off all comments to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Pavlak said RPG is dead. No, I didn't say that. Come on. You know? <laughs> Green screen, maybe. Not RPG. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a, that's, a, that's a great way to end the conversation. Mike, thank you very much. To anybody who's still listening to the podcast, thank you very much for hanging in there with us. Um, I think you were well rewarded with some great some great, some great thoughts from Mike. So thank you again, Mike. Uh, be sure to check out other offerings on Tech Channel. They have a whole wealth of great content on there and you, um, you won't go wrong with, with doing that. Anyway, till next month, everybody, this is Charlie Guarino and thanks for listening. Take care. Bye now.